You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Formerly Bulletproof Radio. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Today we're going to talk about stuff that everyone likes to talk about. Angels, psychic powers, and the D word. Now, I know where your mind went there. No, not that D word. Death is the D word I was thinking of. And we know more about death than you think we probably do. And we're going to go deep on that here with someone who has actual psychic powers and does see angels, who's not crazy at all. In fact, she's a really, really successful business person. She reached out to me years ago and said, Dave, like I have a radio show and I do all this stuff, but I've run a bunch of really successful companies that I started. Like, like I didn't talk about this till later in my career. So this is someone I find really credible. She's done stuff that's helped me personally and actually surprisingly with a pet, my dog Merlin. And uh, we're going to talk about that. So I'll open up some of the the inner workings of how I do things um, so that you can just see the world might be more interesting than you think. Julie, as a psychic, medical, intuitive slash serial entrepreneur, uh, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks, Dave. What a delight to be with you. And thank you for all you do. The work you do has taught me so much over the years that's just profoundly impacted my life, made it better from a health standpoint and other ways, and my family and all my listeners and all my clients. So to you and your team, thank you for all the work that you do. It's really profound. Much appreciated. There one of the things that that I noticed when I started doing all these biohacking techniques is that my, we'll just call them uh, energetic powers, whatever, intuition, making stuff happen, solving problems faster. I, think, I, I don't know even the the edge of of what uh, of what the, that really means, but it all got faster and easier. And after a little while, when you know spiritual gurus and psychics and shamans routinely said, when I use the biohacking stuff, whether it's supplements or butter in coffee, all that kind of stuff, my abilities sharpen, I, I can do more, it's faster, it's easier, it, it's about reducing friction. So, you know, the fact that it's made any difference for you, I'm, I'm grateful for that. And, and it's cool. And I want to dig deep, because I know a good number of listeners are already rolling their eyes going medical intuitive, huh? How is it possible that someone could just know? So before we even get into that, someone could just know, Serial entrepreneur, what does that mean? Like, were you a real business person? Like, were you successful in the world or have you lived in a yurt all this time and like you sold crystals by the side of the road, which made you a serial entrepreneur? Yeah, I'm a businesswoman that learned how to do woo-woo and I'm a buffet of psychicness. How about that? (laughs) So. I've been working with a company called Omnibiotic who made a targeted probiotic with unique powder delivery mechanisms that make sure you get a high probiotic survival rate in your intestines because who wants to take a probiotic that never even starts growing in the body? I've noticed a real difference after taking Omnibiotic for a few months now. My digestion is rock solid and these strains are designed specifically for detoxification and even for brain function and stress management and you can feel it. Go to omnibioticlife.com slash Dave. Use code Dave20 for 20% off. That's omnibioticlife.com slash Dave. Use code Dave20 
and you can get specific strains that do specific things that change how you feel. Were you a real business person? Like, were you successful in the world or have you lived in a yurt all this time and like you sold crystals by the side of the road, which made you a serial entrepreneur? Yeah, I'm a businesswoman that learned how to do woo-woo and I'm a buffet of psychicness. How about that? <laughs> so, there you go. No, I'm an inventor. I've invented surgical devices that are sold throughout the world. Some have been on the market for 30 years. They're all still on the market. Unfortunately, the, some of the patents have expired. So, yep. you know, no more mailbox money back in the day when that was a thing. And I founded nine companies in five industries. So I am truly a serial entrepreneur like you. And I believe it's a DNA thing because why else would we do that? It's just we can't help ourselves. It's just what you do, right? When something, a problem needs solving, a product doesn't exist, like, oh, I think I want that. And then you make it. Or in my case, now, if I can find it and someone worthy is making it, I'll bring them on the show and we'll talk about it and share it with the world because it's a lot easier than me starting another company. And in fact, I'm, I'm working with my, working on my problem of starting too many companies because it's a lot of work maybe that I don't want to do. So, were you always psychic? Like you woke up when you were five and you're like, I can see dead people. Like, how, how does that work? Well, actually, no, I, I didn't have dead people chasing me as a child. And if I did, I wouldn't have known what to do with that information. I learned how to do this stuff. And I studied it for six years and took a formalized curriculum while I was still running companies and being a mom and being a wife and, you know, doing all the regular stuff. I turn my abilities on and off at will. And I teach people all over the world how to do the same thing from all walks of life. Physicians, medical providers, a lot of professors, Broadway stars, Hollywood people, plumbers, housewives, whatever. It doesn't matter. We all have the ability. We all use it. It's just a matter of developing and enhancing it. We've all had a situation where we've thought of somebody and they call us or they text us or they email us and we say, oh, I was just thinking of you. What a coincidence. Well, no coincidences in life. That was your intuitive ability at play. It's it's kind of an open secret amongst doctors that, yes, there are many, many healers, uh, doctors, chiropractors, MDs, just we'll call them medical professionals. They just know. And then they order a lab, <laughs> right? And then the lab proves what they already knew. And a lot of times, either they're taught that's not real, um, or they're taught to discount it in medical school. And if they talk about it too much, then their medical license is at risk, right? Because doctors aren't supposed to be able to do that, even though they can. And so it, it's, it's funny, knowing so many medical professionals very, very well, some of my closest friends in the world um, work in the field, and they all have intuitive powers, right? Someone walks in the room and like, how do you know of all the universe of, of things you could ask? How do you do it? And sometimes it's pattern matching. That's actually more of what I do. I have intuition. But when people hear one of my intervention calls, uh, there's a lot of pattern matching and there's some in intuition that guides the, like, okay, if I see this, this, and this, I know it's this. But before that, there was a feeling. And then I'm justifying the feeling with the patterns. So I would just encourage anyone listening you probably have more of that than you think when you go back and look at the big intuitions in your life. And 
I know that's how I do a lot of what I do. It, it's like I felt it, and because of the neurofeedback stuff I do at forty years of Zen, that's polished my abilities. So I, there's a reason I can come up with Danger Coffee, which is a really cool name for a coffee brand that stands for something and all that. It's because I don't know this what we're talking about here, but okay, maybe you could say neurofeedback and all the weird training I've done. Uh, around the world, but six years of studying specific intuition to turn your powers on when you're a mom and an inventor and a serial entrepreneur, how would one go about that? How, how did you know to do this? Well, a friend gave me a book called Anatomy of the Spirit by Carolyn Mace, who called herself mm, a medical intuitive. One. And I thought, what the heck is that? I'd never heard that term before. And so I went to the bookstore because back then we didn't have the internet yet. And I went to a Barnes and Noble to see what else was available. And I found this book called Hands of Light by Barbara Brennan, who's a former NASA Uh physicist. And she talked about utilizing quantum physics, basically quantum fields, to help facilitate healing. And at that point, I'd been in the medical supply business for years and owned a manufacturing company and manufactured and and marketed surgical devices. Some of my inventions I've licensed to global medical companies and some I manufactured and sold globally. And, And so I read her book and I wanted to know more. So I called her school and I said, are you guys teaching this anyplace near me? And she said, yeah, as she, her assistant, that I talked to. And lo and behold, there was somebody in my town that was teaching this stuff. So I studied with her for years. Fast forward 30 years, I do it four Saturdays with people from all over the world and we do it via Zoom. And so I started studying this stuff and my family and friends said, why are you studying this? And I said, I don't know. I'm, I, it's just really fascinating. I'm interested. Well, what are you going to do with it? I don't, I don't know that I'll ever do anything with it. And here I am drawn to it. Well, and when I sold my surgical device manufacturing company, I still have another couple of companies that are running now. I thought, all right, what am I going to do next? And I have a fun story about how the book came about. May I share that? Oh, please. Yeah. We say the book. We haven't talked about your book. And, And by the way, you're giving a digital or audio copy of your book to every listener who wants one, which is cool. So First, talk about your book and then tell me how it came about. Okay, great. So my book's called Angelic Attendance, What Really Happens as We Transition from This Life into the Next. And and it's a sequence of events that we all go through. Nobody dies alone, especially coming out of COVID. So many of people that I get to talk to tell me that they have a loved one who died alone in the hospital or in a nursing home and they couldn't be with them and they're really suffering because of that emotionally. Well, nobody dies alone. We're all surrounded by angels and deceased loved ones and the spirits of deceased pets. The first time I saw this sequence of events was when my own mother was dying in 2002. And then I did it for some other people, family and friends over the years. So one day I was with my mentor and she was doing an energy healing on me. And when I'm on the massage table face up with a blankie on me, my deceased loved ones line the sides of the table. You know, I can see my parents, my grandparents, they're all there. Even deceased dogs are there helping with the healing. Well, one day this dead Pope showed up, Dave. And he had the whole Pope outfit on, the hat, the whole nine yards. And I said to him, well, who are you? And he said, I'm Clement. And I said, there was Pope Clement. Sorry, I never heard of you. And he laughed. (laughs) He said, 
well, I was number six. I said, okay, can I help you? Kind of like, why are you here? And he said, you're supposed to teach the world what happens when somebody dies because it's been so bastardized over the millennia. People are so afraid and there's nothing to be afraid of. It's glorious. And I listened Mm. to this and I said to him, I'm not doing that. I'm a businesswoman and people are going to think I'm nuts. And he laughed and he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just get on with it. So Dave, I go to my car to go home a few minutes later and I just looked up. Pope Clement VI. Well, come to find out, this guy was in office during the Black Plague, and he's best known for his prayers for the dying and his prayers for the dead. Wow. And, and you've never heard of him, and he <laughs> showed up with your energy healer. When we say he showed up, did you like see him and he was talking to him? Yeah, to when, I see, when I see dead people, they look like a hologram of okay. what they look like. And, and he always shows up with the whole Pope outfit on. Whenever I see him and I, I said, I know who you are after all these years. You don't have to wear the hat. He goes, no, no, it's good. It's good. It helps. It helps. He says, he's hilarious. So <laughs> he goes, Just, does the Pope wear a funny hat? Well, apparently, the Pope yeah. wears a hat. Yeah. Well, you know, the Pope hat, the pointy, I forget. There's, exactly. a, there's a term for it. I don't remember what it is. But anyway, so fast forward a few years, I thought, yeah, yeah, I'm not doing that. And, and then I finally really got enough golden ovary courage. Cause you know, boys have brass balls, girls have golden ovaries. Did you know that for courage? I, I did not. Yeah. So I got enough golden ovary courage to be able to release this information. And by that time I'd worked with enough families that I put a bunch of stories in the book. So I was, a, I was thinking, oh my God, people are going to think I'm nuts. And, and I really got tested cause I was lecturing in Austin one day to a room full of big banquet room full of C-suite executives. And I had put up AskJulieRyan.com. I had thought, okay, I'll release the book. I'll put up this website. And after my talk, this guy came up with his iPad and he had it tuned to AskJulieRyan.com with my picture on it. And he said, is this you? <laughs> I would have said, yeah, that's my picture. And he said, uh, I'm thinking, oh, God, here we go. I'm just going to get, you know, slammed for this. And he said, I'm interested in learning more. Can we sit together at lunch? And I said, sure. And then I'm thinking, okay, great. So I'll just get pummeled all during lunch about this woo-woo stuff that I do. Well, I sat at a table of eight. It was me and six men, C-suite executives. And we talked about woo-woo the whole time. They didn't want to talk about business. They want to talk about yeah. woo-woo. And some of them are still clients. I have a lot of corporate clients, some running big publicly traded companies with whom I work. Doctors send it, patients to me all the time. I mean, it's just, it's, un, it's <laughs> in the closet, some of it still. It, it's such a big secret. Uh, I remember, oh, geez, 20-something years ago, I was looking at getting funded uh, by a guy who's a, a very well-known VC uh, today. And he asked for my birth date and time and the other co-founders. I'm like, why? And he said, oh, I use uh, Chinese astrology to see how founding teams are going are gonna to work. He's like, it's not the way I base my decisions, but it's one of the variables that I look at. And I was like, that's crazy because this guy's already had exits that would make most people go nuts. And you know, since then, he's, he's blown up. Uh, he's partners with one of my former clients. And... I I look at that and then I look at all these other exceptionally wealthy people who I've had the opportunity to work with. Almost all of them 
have an intuitive that they work with. These global families have been around for five generations. They have intuitives that are a core part of it. Was like Merlin a part of King Arthur's court? Yes. And so like, like this is almost a trope even in movies, but that's, I think that's how the world works. And so I, I have had great, um, great impact from working with intuitives and you've done some really cool stuff for me. And so I, I think there's validity, but you can't ever just um, put all of your, all of your decision-making in the hands of, of someone who's intuitive either, because things can interfere. Like, like how, how accurate would you say your reads on things are? Like, how do you know if like, the dark Sith didn't insert a crystal of confusion. I have no idea how that stuff works. But like, how do you, like, how do you know that that you're accurate? Like, how do you know that that you're accurate? Well, just from what my clients tell me, and okay. and I I get to see amazing things in my mind's eye. Dave, like I laugh, I say, who needs LSD? I mean, just learn how to do woo-woo. You see amazing things in your head and you're conscious when you're doing it. I turn my abilities on and off. I mean, I always do regular stuff and then I turn it on in an instant and I turn it off in an instant. So I, I, in my mind's eye, I can scan anybody anywhere in the world. It's like I'm a human MRI and then something's show, something shows up, and then immediately thereafter, there's some type of energetic healing that will begin. And it can take the form of something getting added, something getting removed. I watch procedures in my mind's eye all the time that emulate what I saw in the operating room for all those years, developing products, testing prototypes, stuff like that. Sometimes I see healings that utilize methodologies and devices that haven't been invented yet. But I'm always very descriptive with what I'm seeing, because if you can envision it or get a sense of it, it's going to help integrate the healing into your body. And I believe what I do is an adjunct or complementary to Eastern and Western medicine as we know it. And I think it's important to remember too, Dave, that nobody heals anybody else. No doctor, no shaman, no healer. We all heal ourselves. For example, if you have surgery, at the end of the procedure, the surgeon's going to close your incision with sutures and staples. The surgeon doesn't make your skin grow back. You make your own skin grow back. And that's the same with everything. Healers, medical providers, whatever, we facilitate, you facilitate people healing themselves with the information that you teach. You don't make somebody heal. You help them heal themselves. I do the same thing. What about like a, a Reiki or Reiki, however you say it, master? I, I have friends who are those, but I still don't know how to say it. But, um, you know, the, there are people, it seems like they're transmitting some chi that actually does help to heal. Is that still included? I guess they're giving you the energy, but your body does the healing is what you're saying? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. The physician is going to, you know, going to give you suggestions. They may give you a prescription or or things to do to follow to help you heal, but they're not making you heal. You're healing yourself. And it's your, it's always the person's prerogative to utilize the healing in a way that's going to best facilitate whatever their spirit's exploring at any given time, whether you're into woo-woo or not, whether you, I was in the emergency room last night with my husband who has cellulitis and he got a bunch of antibiotics and I was working on them too, but I said, we're going to the emergency room. 
because, you know. So it's not a replacement for no. medicine, but it can help to guide it. I, a lot of the work I've done with stem cells is very interesting because when you get stem cells, they're like young, kind of stupid cells. They don't really know where to go, but they're easy to guide for a medical intuitive. So you can sort of tell them where to go because they're sort of like, where'd I go? Where'd I go? And, and just a little nudge works. So the best, uh, the best stem cell guys, uh, like if you go see uh, Dr. Harry Adelson, um, he'll like have you hold your cells uh, that you, that are going to get injected and like put an intention into them. And from my own sensation and from third party intuitives, they're like, oh, you can actually see where they're going. And I think they listen to it. So it's it's a fascinating world where your consciousness does something and maybe someone else's consciousness like yours can do something. I do a lot of work with stem cell energy, a lot. You do? I okay. have seen... I have seen many organs get regenerated. It'll fix any body part. It's fantastic what I get to see. And I and sometimes the new organs like a kidney or a liver or something will show up on a subsequent scan at the doctors. And I've had doctors wow. over the years call me and say, what the hell are you doing? How does this stuff work? <laughs> and it's it's I'm watching in warp speed happen what our bodies do on their own to regenerate themselves. Right. We don't, uh, we don't really know what the signal is, but it's not what we think. It is kind of where I end up with things, right? Like, like your intention does something, but there's a bunch of other kind of mushy stuff. And I think intuitives are better at seeing the mushy stuff and maybe cutting through it. Um, you can do this remotely though. I, I mean, I, you've done remote stuff uh, for me and we can talk in some more detail about that. But you run a, a radio show in Chicago and, and people just call in and, and like, what does a typical call look like? Are, they're calling in and saying, you know, can you look at my knee and you tell them what's wrong or how does that work? And how do you do it when you're not even in the same room? Yeah, I, I'm never in the same room unless it's my husband or a family member. Rarely, like less than a, a nano percent am I, I can scan anybody anywhere, anywhere. If you were on Mars, I could scan you on Mars. If you're flying across the ocean, 45,000 feet in the air, it doesn't matter. I can scan you there. And so I raise my vibrational level. I watch a laser beam come from my body. It hooks into you wherever you are. And then it's like I have a big screen TV in my head. So you're right. I have a syndicated radio show that we release as a podcast. We'll do show 320 tonight. And so it's a blast, Dave, because people call in from all over the world and I'm utilizing my buffet of psychicness. I'll scan somebody. We'll talk to somebody's dead grandmother. I'll scan their pet. We'll do a past life thing. And it's really fun every week because it's such a crapshoot because I never know who's going to call or what their questions are going to be. And it's it's really a lot of fun. So is there some sort of intuitive guide to informed consent? Like if, if I said, hey, can you scan... Um, let's, let's be crazy. Can you scan um, Biden to see what aliens are controlling him? I, I just made that up. Uh, I, I actually have no knowledge about that. Like, can you do that? Or do you need like a permission slip from whoever it is you're scanning? Great question. I always ask permission from the person, if it's someone else other than the person I'm talking to at the moment, like if you said, can you scan my son? I would ask your son permission, even if your son was a fetus, even if your son was a newborn. Uh, but you, you'd ask him ask on, an inter, on an energetic plane. Uh, telepathically. Okay, got it. And, and I'll get an answer. And, and then anything that I get is always super confidential because I operate under HIPAA. 
I think it's it's my that's my duty from an ethical standpoint. And I'm not going to scan somebody that that doesn't want to be scanned. Number one, it's number none of my business. Number two, I don't really want to know. Imagine being in a crowd of people and going, okay, this one's got this going on. That one's got that going on. And number three, I think it's unethical. It would be gross. Right? Yeah, <laughs> really. So yeah, I always ask permission. And the okay. funny thing, Dave, is that the people who normally say no with the most frequency are kids. Oh, interesting. Because they're just working no. on their own thing. No, because they just don't understand what it is. They don't have any concept, some of them. Mm. So I'll say, okay, go talk to little Susie about mommy's friends, going to scan her. And and then normally they'll let me in. But when somebody says, no, all is not lost, because I can talk to their spirit telepathically and we can get information from their spirit. I don't have a problem ethically with that, Dave, because for instance, if somebody had pneumonia, their spirit's going to tell me what they want me to know, but I'm not looking at their chest x-ray without permission. So that's how I... Mm feel about that. But you could, if they gave permission, sort of do a remote telepathic x-ray kind of thing and see what's going on. That's okay. what I do. But but I, I can communicate, and this is part of what I teach, we can communicate with any spirit, whether it's attached to a body or not, whether it's somebody deceased or somebody alive. And it doesn't matter whether you knew them or not. So who do you want to talk to? You want to talk to Aristotle? You want to talk to Linus Pauling, one of your heroes? You want to talk mm -hmm. to Elvis? It doesn't matter. You just think of them. And our heads are big satellite dishes. When you think of somebody, it tunes your satellite dish head to their frequency. Every spirit has a frequency they keep throughout all of their lifetimes. And you can talk mm. with them. And that's why Napoleon Hill and Think and Grow Rich, I mean, he talked really openly about this. Like, And his he came up with that book by studying what really successful people did, which is a lot of what I do on, on this show. And he had a whole chapter in the book, I think, what do you call it, the Council of Masters or something? I the Mastermind group, yeah. Was that, Master I guess it was Mastermind, okay. Yeah. So he, he talked about building one and he had Benjamin Franklin at his and right. all these other people. So yeah, it, it sounds like you can do it based on what you pick up intuitively. And, and I've worked with other people who've said similar things and can tune in like that. Now, I really want to know though, so you're operating under self-imposed HIPAA rules and you work with integrity. So we're going to call you a, a good witch, but what if there was like bad people who wanted to read your energy and find out where you're weak or I don't know, make a bet against your team, like people with bad intent. Do you need like spiritual firewalls and like teams of Jedi Knights? How does that work to keep the bad stuff away? Great question. I've tried this at Churchill Downs. I've, tr I've tried it in Vegas. It doesn't work very well. So I haven't won the Kentucky Derby. You know, I haven't called the Kentucky Derby. You, you can Derby. like spot the horse that's yeah. about to, to pull a foot or whatever horses do. Not, okay. not lately, no. So great question. All spirits are pure love. And the whole evil spirit thing has all been concocted by religions and governments and civilizations to control the masses. So you don't believe in like demons and like no. bad spirits and things like no. that? Man, no, all spirits. I, I run across some love. stuff that this year didn't look very loving to me. Yeah, and what, what? There are bad people. I mean, there are sociopaths. It's like four percent of people. I I know. I, I've definitely received investments from at least one of them. Uh, and there's so there's sociopaths, psychopaths, and just 
narcissists. So maybe these are damaged spirits, but if one of those people with intuitive powers who doesn't have your best interests at heart, can you keep them away or do you have to keep them away? Like it seems, it seems risky. Okay. So all spirits, pure love. When I have spirit working through me and with me, it's all pure love. I can't do any harm because it's pure love. So there's no harm that can be done. That's number one. When somebody is what we would consider to be an evil person or a sociopath or something, they're based in fear, which is a low vibration. Mm -hmm. So they're not able to harness the quantum field because that's at a really high vibration. So what I've learned to do and what I teach my students is how to raise their energy level to a really high vibration so we can utilize the quantum field. So there's no risk. Now, are there people out there that are unethical? Yeah. Go on Instagram. You know, they're scamming people all the time. Look at internet marketing, right? (laughs) Yeah. So when we get into the place of feeling like we need to be protected, we're in Mm -hmm. fear, we're out of alignment with spirit because spirit's vibration is love. It's joy. It's at least neutral. When we dip into fear, like we're trying to protect ourselves, and this is what I teach my students, you're out of alignment. You're not going to be able to access spirit to help facilitate whatever it is you want to do. So mm. it's it's a nice um, foolproof little mechanism that spirit has there. So, so it's basically learn how to make your vibration higher so then all that, that the whatever stuff doesn't stick to you. All right. I, I like that. It, it sounds like a challenge, uh, but it's totally true that that you can uh, change your energy state. A, a lot of the a lot of the neurofeedback stuff I do is around that. So all right. One of the things that we've talked about is that you can see toxic mold in a person, which is really cool because so many people call. Uh, they call me and, and they're like, "What what's going on? I'm like, so where's the water leak in your house? And like, how did you know? Like, because you have all of the dozens of symptoms of toxic mold, but you do it a different way. What does it look like when you tune into someone uh, who's asked for your help or someone you have permission to tune into? What does a mold person look like versus a normal person? It looks like mold inside their the hologram that is their body. And some people that have really huge mold toxicity. It will look like a sheet of moss that you can get at Michael's, the craft store. Yeah, it kind of feels know. like that. It does. <laughs> and then and then sometimes it'll have blotches of mold and then there'll be openings in it. I see mold in the brain matter, in the little mm-hmm. nooks and crannies of the brain. So energetically, I'll remove the brain, irrigate that those mold spores. I can see mold spores years after somebody's been exposed. I can tell if it's active mold or if it's old mold because it looks dried versus active. It has kind of a moist, it'll leave like a mold stain as I'm removing it out of the energy field. And and it's so funny. You and I have talked about this in the past. I I would say 99% of the time when somebody says, well, I've been diagnosed with Lyme, even if they have a tick bite, it's mold. It's totally mold, not Lyme. And I, I was diagnosed with Lyme. In fact, the company that my wife and I started that could diagnose active Lyme diagnosed that active Lyme disease using radioactive white blood cell counting, but I had toxic mold that was causing the Lyme. So Lyme is a symptom of mold. And if you have Lyme, seriously find the mold toxin that allowed the Lyme to grow. 
And if that was all people got from this whole episode, oh my God, it's life changing. Yeah. So I'm not saying Lyme doesn't exist. Something like 10% of people probably just have Lyme. Right. And I'm saying that because there's genetic testing from, I think, UCLA. I talked about this oh, three or four years ago on the show. But you see it every time. Like, oh, you think you have Lyme, but I see mold. I don't see Lyme. What does Lyme look like as a, a medical intuitive? Lyme looks like um, what, what I normally see with the Lyme is I see a mast cell reaction. And it looks like clear mm. cells with a red dot in them. And they're all over the whole body. Inflammation looks like red fog on body parts. I use anti-inflammatory energy to calm it down, which is a royal blue color. And then I can see beneath it. It's like if you're driving on a on a, at night on a foggy night and you can't see very far in front of you. I got to remove the inflammation first so I can see underneath it and see what's going on. So I see okay. that a lot. I see if whenever there's mold, there's always yeast overgrowth, and so I'll see it in the GI mm -hmm. tract. And it looks like a roux if you mix flour and water together to make us mm -hmm. to make the base of a gravy or a sauce for a dish that you're making, and it'll line the stomach. And then leaky gut looks like there's these little slits in the intestinal wall. And so I watch them get get stitched up. I remove the yeast. I do all of that, and then I send them to a lot of your links of things. Nice Daten is a go-to. Here's nice. a fun fact. You know how we're led to do things. I had yeast overgrowth for the first 40 years of my life. And when I wow. moved to Birmingham, I was on antibiotics when I was 24 hours old from a staph infection in the nursery. So my Jeez. poor gut didn't have a chance. But when I moved to Birmingham, I met a, an internist named Orion Truss, Dr. Truss, who was a Cornell-educated internist who taught at Cornell Medical School for years and taught Sidney Baker, Dr. Sidney Baker. I know you've had him on the show. I've talked with him a couple times about Dr. Truss. And he taught Dr. Baker about yeast. And people would come from all over the world, and they he would get them well from the yeast. And so he's deceased. I laugh. I say, Dr. Truss is sitting on a cloud in heaven saying to me, you go, girl, because I'm teaching <laughs> people all over the world what he taught me. And he was a huge proponent of Nystatin. And for listeners, Nystatin was the first statin drug ever. And it wasn't designed to lower cholesterol, although it does that mildly. Um, what it's designed to do is kill yeast. So if you have a yeast infection, you're saying, I just want to starve the yeast by going to ketosis. Newsflash, candida eats ketones. So that's not going to work. Cutting sugar and forcing it to switch over will stress the candida and make you feel like crap. But if you just kill it with either some natural stuff like a grapefruit seed extract and uh, maybe some uh, various other herbs, I'm not going to go in too much into that, um, maybe oregano oil, that'll help. But honestly, just taking some Nystatin, which doesn't leave the gut, has a really powerful systemic effect and you feel much better, much more quickly. And so I, I'm all about just getting your life back. And I had candida for many years as well. So it's cool that you can see it and it's different than mold. Oh, yeah. Um, but I but, but they always okay. go hand in hand because if somebody's being treated for Lyme, they're on massive doses of antibiotics. I have clients that were on five antibiotics at the same time and their guts are just a wreck. Oh. And so when I get in there... And I remove the yeast, Dave. The lining of the gut just looks like raw hamburger. I mean, it's it's just 
like an oozing wound. So there's this balm that I watch get put in that that reminds me of really thick white face cream and it has anti-inflammatory properties. And I say it has rocket booster fuel to heal tender tissues. And I watch it get slathered in there. And then I watch the body heal. Also, I do DNA healings all the time. On what does that look that, like? It looks like the, the first time I saw it, I was working with a woman in in Australia, in Sydney, on her very severely autistic little boy. And I watched DNA get resequenced. I thought, what the heck? What do I know about DNA? But it looks like a piece of paper you'd see inside a fortune cookie with a fortune written on it. And it's got the A, T, Cs, and Gs on it. And a strand can have, what, 100,000 letters or a billion letters? And I watched them get rearranged like I'm watching Scrabble in warp speed playing Scrabble, moving the letter up and over. And then it snaps back into a chromosome. So fun story. First time I saw that afterwards, I called a buddy of mine who's a brilliant geneticist. And I said, what am I seeing? And he described it to me and he said, there are a bunch of places researching it. It's a hypothesis. Nobody's seen it. Nobody can prove it. There's no way you'd know about it. I said, well, obviously I do. I just told you about it. He goes, yeah, good point. So now he always wants to know what I'm seeing. So if I'm working with a cancer patient, we stay three steps ahead of the mutations because we can take that recipe of that DNA back to a a normal status. It's pretty remarkable. If that sounds completely crazy pants uh, for people listening, um, it is in my world and not where I would have believed 20 years ago, it is entirely possible to go inside a cell to look at cell components. And a lot of the the underworld, a lot of the shamanic realms and a lot of the other healing places where different lineages go, they're actually going inside structures in the body and making changes. And it, it looks different. There's even books written about what it looks like so that you can know where you're going. And I've accidentally popped into a few of those spaces in various work that I've done, I'm like, what the heck? But I have an understanding of what it is because I believe it's possible because I've read the guidebooks to it. <laughs> so like, okay, you know, th- this is a real thing and you can do what you're saying uh, and it can even be dangerous. Like, like if you had a bad intent, you could probably go in and tell the DNA to do the wrong things or someone doing that work on themselves without any knowledge. Oh, I didn't know this was DNA. I just plugged a bunch of stuff together and they turn into a toad. Okay, maybe not quite that no. much, but bad stuff can happen, right? Couple of things on that. Number one, the body's programmed to heal itself. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD plus. Check out Qualia NAD plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. 
couple of things on that. Number one, the body's programmed to heal itself. You know, the body, that's just what the body does. It's going to do its best to heal itself. That's number one. Number two, the way that these visuals come into me, I'm a visual learner. So I get information downloaded visually. I get information downloaded into my head like you were talking about. You know, you just have a thought. You know, it's called direct knowing. But it's important to remember that we're going to get information in a way that it's going to make sense to us based on a frame of reference that we have so we can understand it. So me looking at DNA that way is to somebody who's not a scientific person, but I knew it was DNA, but I'm watching it happen in a way so I can make sense of it and I can tell my geneticist buddy so he can understand what I'm seeing from my layperson perspective. So spirit's always going to communicate to us in a way that it's going to be understandable based on what our life has been and what's our frame of reference. Like when I see arthritis in somebody's body, it looks like what it looked like in the OR when I was looking at the monitors when a knee or a shoulder or a hip was being scoped. It looked, But that's my frame of reference. May look totally different to somebody else. Mm-hmm. That that makes sense. We have our own lens on reality, and you wouldn't know someone else's lens, right? And part of the the movement of biohacking is just to give you a lens that says you're in charge of your biology. It's not random. And I know when I was growing up, like I don't know, my body just like does stuff, and sometimes you get sick, and you have no control over it. And it turns out the whole big thing behind everything I'm doing is that you're in charge of way more than you think. Now. I have a couple more medical intuitive things before we get into psychic powers and then death in the the time that we have. Uh, What do people who've had that virus that starts with C that shall not be named for fear of being, um, uh, what's the word I can say that that is what they do when they tell you you can't speak and restrict it? Because if you talk about that other C word that ends in ship, they actually reduce the visibility of, uh, of the show when you talk about that also. So I haven't, I've avoided saying the name of the virus that shall not be named and the thing they do to you when you talk about the virus that shall not be named. But what do people look like when they have that one? Well, it's interesting. I didn't get a lot of uh, clients or people calling into my show when it was in full bloom, but I got a bunch of people calling in now post, ah. post that. And it's interesting. There's a certain uh, company's... Uh, injection, let me put it that way, that has this funky green color, Dave, and it looks like radiator fluid, like that fluorescent green in radiator fluid. And the first time I saw that, I called a a friend who's a physician that's very versed in this. I said, what the heck is this? And she told me the name of the, the dye that's put in that, and it's made from iridescent seaweed. I'm thinking, all right, that's interesting. I watch DNA get resequenced. I didn't know there was even dye in them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll be happy to to give you the information on that offline and um, and then help them help them with heavy metal detoxing and things like that. I see Mm -hmm. a lot of heavy metals. I see things like that. And uh, and I would say I have one to two clients a day that either have some kind of symptoms or have a family member or a friend or a loved one. And symptoms from having had the illness or having had the thing that 
that it allegedly prevents the illness that is not legally allowed to have any side effects. Yes, that. Not the illness. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah. Way more. It, it's going to take a long time for AI systems to be able to, to get around what we're doing, and it makes me laugh. In the meantime, eventually, though, these conversations will not happen. But for now, at least we can still do them. All right. I want to know about death. So you can see this, you see holograms. What really happens when you die? The spirit exits the body through the top of the head. You hear about near-death experience people that talk about going through a tunnel. That's what it looks like, I imagine. And it hangs on to the top of the head and it looks like a cartoon caption bubble, like a speech bubble where the cartoon character's thoughts or words are, what they're saying. And then the deceased loved ones start to show up. So the first person to show up and the person that runs the show is the closest maternal spirit to the person who's dying. And then the closest paternal spirit. So the person's mother, or if she's still alive, her mother, their maternal grandmother, or the maternal great-grandmother, always on the maternal line. And then the maternal father, if he's deceased, it's going to be the mother's father or the mother's grandfather. It's it's interesting. And then angels show up. And angels look to me like big old beings with wings and a white gown and rope at the waist as a, you know, as a belt, bare feet. And they are six to seven feet tall. Is that what angels really look like? That's what they look like to me because I went through 12 years of Catholic schools. That's what I was taught they look like, <laughs> right? Like the statuary and the paintings and stuff. And so they form a circle around the person who's dying. And then as the person progresses towards death, that circle opens up into a horseshoe, eventually a straight line across the foot of the bed. And then thousands and thousands of other spirits show up. And those are deceased loved ones from all their lifetimes. It's fascinating because they show up in period dress. And also all the pets that the person ever had, their spirits are there as well. And the first time I saw this day when my mother was dying, I thought, oh my God, am I having a hot flash? Is this a, am I hallucinating? What is this? And then I've just seen it thousands of times since. Now, it's important to remember a couple of things. Number one, time doesn't exist in the spirit world. So time is a human creation. Uh-huh. And number two, this happens, These what I call the 12 phases of transition. This happens regardless of if somebody dies instantly, like in the case of a homicide or suicide, or whether they die over a prolonged period of time, days, weeks, months, years. I had a gal call into my show for two years, and her dad was in phase 11 of 12. Aren't we all dying? Like the, the second you're born, you start dying. I mean, well, yeah, but this is of... actively dying. This is what hospice okay. people call actively dying. Oh, okay. Yeah. In, in fact, I recommended your book. It, the title's Angelic Attendance. And by the way, guys, um, Julie's just giving you this book, either in audio or, or uh, downloadable form. How do they get that? Just what's your webpage? Yeah, go to askjulieryan.com. Go to the Ask okay. Julie page. Just say, hey, I heard you on Dave's show. I'd love a copy of your book. And we'll send you the links for a free free digital or audiobook download. And I have children's books too. So if you have kids or grandkids and you want copies of those, we'll send you those in digital as well. And, 
I actually recommended your book on a recent, uh, one of my uh, my upgrades where I work with someone from my mentorship group and and we talk about something on one of my shows. And she was nearing the end of her life and was just like, I've done everything I've come here to do. And she'd had a career in TV and, and really fascinating person. And she said, but I don't have any close friends near me. And like, I'm, I'm really concerned about dying alone. And I'm like, you need to read Julie Ryan's book. So I recommended it to her because you're saying you don't actually die alone. And I actually recommended that she start volunteering in hospice so that you know, she would know, be comfortable with it because she was one of those people who's like, you know what? I did what I came here to do. Like I, I recognize that I'm done in, in one of the phases that you talk about in your book. And what brought me to, to invite you to be on the show is, you know, you've done some, some cool things to help me. And your book, though, is very precise. It, it's written by a business person or an inventor, you can tell, because you're saying, okay, here's stage one. Here's what it looks like. Here's what quadrant they're in. So it's like a structured approach to looking at what happens when you die versus one of these like, well, you know, you'll hear angels singing. And, and like, it's a bit mushy for the engineering side of me, but your book is like, no. Here's what happens. And of course, it is spiritual because death and birth are both spiritual things. They're kind of opposite sides of the same coin. And uh, I just, I, I appreciated the pragmatism and the structure. And you're saying, I've seen enough of these and I see them repeatedly. And this is how it works. I, I found that to be relaxing almost to be able to look at it that way. So tell me more about the structure of death. Well, the interesting thing about that is two things. Number one, there's university-based research in the past several years that corroborate everything I talk about in my book. And so I love when woo-woo, when science catches up with woo-woo, because this stuff's ancient. This, you know, being surrounded by angels and deceased loved ones. Every Catholic funeral has a prayer that said at the end of every funeral, and it's called in paradisum, which in Latin says into paradise. The angels and your loved ones will greet you and lead you into paradise is what it says. So when I was writing angelic attendance, I did some research to find out where did that originate? Where'd that prayer originate? And what I learned, Dave, was that it started in the fifth century and it was it originated as a Gregorian chant. Well, perhaps it took till the fifth century till someone was learned enough, well-educated enough that they could read and write. And certainly some of the most well-educated people were men living in monasteries and synagogues. And that's where it began. So I believe we've been able to see this since the beginning of time. And as we've become more proof-based, as we've become more well-educated, especially in the Western cultures, we've tapped that down. So this series of events is really remarkable, and, and I can scan anybody anywhere in the world, and so can anybody else that takes my class or that just learns how to do this. And it's really helpful because if we're seeing somebody progress through phase like four, five, six, seven, you know, okay, time to get the family in when they're reaching about phase eight, nine, ten. People can go in and out of the phases. Some interesting nuances about phase five, that spirit bubble, there are extra angels that show up. And about phase nine, their wings start to move. Now, hang with me for a minute on this, because when I was seeing this with my own mother, I thought, oh my God, you know, I'm losing my mind here. But their wings start to move and it creates an upward draft, an upward pull, a vortex, if you will. And it had an upward pull to it. It, 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 
always has an upward pull. It reminds me of being in the car wash, you know, at the end of the car wash when they turn on the dryers and it's sucking all the water off your car before you exit the car wash. And so that's how the spirit exits the body. It goes through this vortex. Well, again, when I was writing angelic attendance, I just researched this. And it reminds me, the angel's wings movements remind me of a giant owl whose wings move very slowly and methodically, and you can almost feel the drag. And right. so I, I researched that online. Well, come to find out there's this thing called the wingtip vortex. There's an engineering, aeronautical engineering phenomena that every jet, every plane, every bird, every kite, anything that flies has this wingtip vortex that forms these vortices that causes lift. And they're thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of drawings and schematics and stuff like that online about that. So I find it remarkable that there's something happening in the spirit world that I can see and I can feel, and it's affecting us in our human world, and it's helping somebody exit the body. Because the wow. spirit is the main part of us, Dave, and the body is inside the spirit. Most people that are brought up in Western religions are taught that the spirit someplace in the chest area. That's not what I perceive. So I have an analogy hmm. for that. Imagine if you go to the pet store to buy a goldfish. They're mm -hmm. going to put it in a plastic bag of water in order for you to get it home. Well, if you have a picture of that in your mind's eye, the fish represents our body. The water represents our spirit because the spirit's inside the body and the plastic bag represents the energy filled membrane. That's the container that holds the energy that makes up our body and our spirit. When I'm doing a medical scan, I'm always looking at the energy filled membrane at the end because there is a hundred percent of the time a leak in that energy filled membrane before disease or illness sets in 100% of the time. And wow. it's caused by an energy block a la Eastern medicine, acupressure, acupuncture, clear the block, get the chi to move. And energy blocks in turn are caused by an emotional event, either in this life or a past life. So I envision going into that terror hole and I'm given a year and I'm, I'm given where it was. If it's past life, what happened? We correlate it. The person normally will remember that as soon as we illuminate it, it eradicates it. That energy field membrane heals. The body can go back to work and I'm full power. Helps body heal, helps the body maintain health. So back to the spirit being inside the body. When the spirit and the body separate, the spirit is the power source for the body. The body doesn't work anymore because it doesn't have a power source. So it, it separates by the spirit going through that vortex. By the way, the chart for the 12 phases of transition you can get on my website. You can download it for free, put it on your phone if you have somebody who's dying or near the end of their life, and then you just ask, what phase is grandma in? You're going to get a number. Look at the chart. It'll give you a, a schematic, you know, an illustration of what that looks like. It's uh, it's pretty cool um, the way that works, and that that was one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on the show. I didn't realize that it was free on your website. I know it's part of your book, uh, but when someone's dying and you're saying, "Oh, look, this is a normal process," and I'm even going to say a normal healthy process, and everyone has to do it, you can do it well, 
or you can do it full of terror and lack of understanding. And I would say the best state to be in, aside from being at peace, would be to be curious. And if you're curious and like, well, someone says, here's a map, and maybe you can just be curious about it and see if it matches the map. And then you look around, oh, look, you know, there is an angel there. Maybe I wouldn't have looked because I wasn't curious and I was too afraid. And some people object really heavily to angels. And I got to ask you, have you ever had an angel tell you that celery juice cures everything? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, do, do they, they don't tell you that kind of, how about beans? Uh, do, do uh, no, no, I've just heard from you about lectins, you and, you know, and others. <laughs> like, be careful with the beans. Yeah, the angel energy, again, is going to show up in our frame of reference. You know, somebody that grows up in an indigenous culture in the Amazon is going to see angel energy maybe as a blob of a purple ball or something. But it, it's it's there. It's the same energy, and I I, I knew the energy well, and 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 they they show up. But surprisingly, even people from different lineages, when they see, I'm going to call them the famous angels, um, they typically describe the same colors and even like the same implements, like you know the sword of Archangel who so and so. The swords look different. The shields look different. And you can say that's Catholic, except if you go back to an indigenous culture. They kind of have something that looks remarkably similar. And uh, I'm going back down to Peru uh, later this year. And it's fascinating because there's this strange amalgamation of the Quechuan people, uh, which is a very indigenous and very ancient uh, traditions that have kind of morphed into Catholic saints. So they, they kind of took some of the new imagery, some of the old, because Catholicism wasn't strong enough to crush what they were trying to crush. So the locals kind of co-opted it and they ended up with a new amalgamation. So I'm, I'm always intrigued because there is something there, uh, but I was making reference to Anthony Williams, you know, the medical medium, and he writes actually very accurate stuff about angels in his books, accurate from what other people who are super tied in with angel work uh, are, are into. And uh, I've actually had it, people refer me to his books saying, like, this guy is dialed in, but then he comes up with 1970s nutrition advice that is clearly not from angels unless they're like the bad angels because that stuff doesn't work, the eating every two hours or something. So I'm like, I, there's a disconnect there, but I, I do want to uh, acknowledge that there's some kind of an angel thing going on and that some people do see it. And you clearly see that kind of stuff probably way better than I do. I don't claim to have any particular psychic powers. Well, um, the interesting my, thing in thing. the – in the 12 phases of transition process, the thing that fascinated me the most when I first started seeing this, and again, it was with my mother the first time, the angels aren't the ones running the show. It's the maternal no. spirit. The maternal spirit's the one that's running the show. It's it's fascinating to watch. And it's the maternal spirit, if somebody's adopted, it's the mother that raised that person. I think that's important to know. I can see baby's energy attached to the mom's energy field before they're conceived. And they look like a little orb that's over the shoulder. It reminds mm. me of the orb that Glenda the Good Witch flies into Munchkin Land inside <laughs> in The Wizard of Oz, you know, that bubble kind of thing. Right, right. And and when you see orbs in photographs, we've all have family photographs mm. and others where we'll see orbs and we'll say, oh, it, it, the camera picked up a, a speck of dust in the light or something. No, that's a spirit. If you put it on your desktop monitor and you blow it up, oftentimes you can see a face in it. And so people send me pictures 
and they'll say, Oh my God, look at this. And it's, and it's a face of a deceased loved one or, or somebody else. So people are, uh, are constantly triggered by what you just said, especially, you know, engineering guys like me. Yeah. Uh, so I, I straight up said that's BS. Cause I, I was, I fasted in a cave led by a shaman for four days for fast this way. My, my last book, I did this in 2008. I didn't know I was going to write a book about it, but I, I tell the story in it. And I would take these pictures and they'd be full of all these, you know, all this dust. And I'm, well, I'm in a cave. Of course there's dust. Of course, this is a cave that's been used ceremonially for 10,000 years. So there might be some spirits in there. So I, I'm done and I'm at the shaman's house and I'm saying, yeah, there's all this dust in my pictures that kept showing up. And she goes, you still think that's dust? And I said, what else could it be? She goes, fine. Okay, take a picture of me. And so I take a picture of her in her living room, no orbs. And she says, okay. And then she closes her eyes and mumbles some stuff that doesn't sound like English to me. She goes, okay, now take a picture. And we take a picture and she's covered in dust. That was enough for the scientists to me to be like, all right, there's some stuff I don't understand. And I look through my photos and when I'm doing photos of like really intense personal stuff or personal development work, you see these big ones look like mandalas like stuck to you and you're like, oh, but I do think that modern AI processing of images erases those. Like you don't see orbs on a modern iPhone because they're interpreted as dust. So every picture you see today from a digital camera, at least a newer digital camera, is already run through a ton of filters to remove stuff that's actually there so that you see the most beautiful picture, almost like there's a, you know, an Instagram filter that's running in the phone itself before you ever see the picture. So I'm not sure if people see orbs with a modern camera like they did with an old one, but there's something going on there. I had one of my graduates who's a physician in London send me a picture recently of a friend of hers and she had a spirit bubble on top of her head and you could literally see a face in it when you blew it up. And it wow, was from her LinkedIn. Cool. It was from her LinkedIn picture. <laughs> it was I wild. Love it. Yeah. It, it's a crazy world out there. Uh, and I, I know we're coming up on the end of the show, but I, I do want to talk about something really interesting. So I had a dog. His name was Merlin. He was a miniature dachshund and the kindest dog I've ever had. He'd been blind since he was birth, a congenital thing. So he just kind of walked around, occasionally bump into a wall, wag his tail and just, just a loving little dog. And uh, when it was time for him to pass, he was maybe 15. He wasn't particularly sick. You could tell he was just kind of done. You know, he he would like do stupid stuff to like, you know, eat things he shouldn't eat that he knows better. And I don't know, you could tell. He was like, I'm old, but I'm not sick. I'm just done. So I called you up and, you know, of course, it's always sad when a, a pet's passing. And you said, let me tune in. Like, oh, he just needs to not have you guys hovering over and like put him in the grass for a little while. So we, we've put him in the grass for a little while and brought him back in. And he just kind of sighed and just let go like surrounded by family and all that. It was the most peaceful passing of, of a person or a pet that I've ever seen. Uh, and I think your advice was really helpful because it looked like he was kind of working uh, to, to fully let go, right? And is it work when someone's dying? Like, do you have to like climb out of your body? Like how, how much efforting is involved if you're the one dying versus all these spirits who are bubbling and doing stuff around you? Well, the body knows what to do. The body okay. knows what to do, how to how to give birth when a baby's being born. A body knows what to do when when somebody when it's dying. 
it we don't it's not something that we're cognizant of necessarily okay i'm going to shut down this body function first and then i'm going to do this the body just does it naturally and with merlin what an honor to be with you and your you and your family and you were able to we were able to get information from merlin and he talked to us and he told us some things that he wanted you and your your family to know and you guys got to say things to him that he knew and and he just wanted you to hold him. That was the big thing. And mm-hmm. he was so connected with you. My favorite Merlin story, though, is when you mm-hmm. texted me and he had something going on with his eye. And you said, they want to remove his eye. Can you fix it? <laughs> so, yeah, that was my text. I'm like, I don't know. I got, you know, I, I don't really think we want to, I don't think I want to put him through that. You, know, you have an old dog who's, you know, at peace and having a big surgery like that, blah. So it, it, I, I was opposed to doing it anyway, but you said, let me see what I can do. I know, what did you do? Because he didn't need the eye surgery. I don't even remember because that was several years ago, but yeah. you texted me later and you go, man, I don't know what you did, but it worked great because he doesn't have to have the surgery now. I right. said, cool. Cool. Yeah. Worked, so, worked for me. And, and yeah. I cannot... I cannot say that you caused that, right? Like no one can. Maybe it would have happened if we hadn't done anything. You don't get to A/B test the stuff, right? But I will say, I'm going to give uh, I'm going to give credit where credit is due, and and that's all right. And and so many people have an objection to that. Say, well, how do you know? Well, cause and effect are a little bit sticky. If you want to look get, get into quantum physics, you want to get into uh, Schrodinger's cat <laughs> and all, all these things, some of the stuff that you think that you're deciding, you are not deciding. And so just the world is a bit odd that your body is deciding before you are. Uh, and they can show you an image and your body will react to the image that you're going to see before you see the image. And no one's been able to figure out why that works, but it's a, a an experiment that's been replicated. So I just say, I'm not going to worry about proving it because I think that it worked and I've seen this kind of thing enough times. Uh, so thank you for the, thank you for the help with Merlin. And yeah, you're welcome. You know, I'm, I'm glad he had a peaceful exit, probably the, the best death of any of the pets I've had. And that is my goal. Whenever I decide I'm done, which ideally is going to be in a very long time, unless I get bored. Um, but and that would be that, you know, to have a death of that quality. We're like, all right, you know, so show up whatever needs to show up. And when you're done, you're done. And this is what spiritual masters do. Um, you go to, like when I was at Kopan Monastery in Nepal, they say, oh yeah, our guru here where they have the the big, um, they call it a stupa, but basically a big round building. People walk in circles around to gather uh, whatever good stuff you gather when you walk in circles around buildings and spin prayer wheels. Merit, they would call it. But inside it are the relics of someone who's like, you know, I'm going to be dying next Tuesday. So you should gather people around. And then next Tuesday, they sit down and they just let go. And then because they did it in some spiritual way, their body can you know, do stuff like their, their relics can do stuff that they probably shouldn't be able to do. But the idea there is it's possible to just let go without all the fear and trauma and anger and all that stuff. So my, my goal is to be exceptionally curious about my own death whenever I decide that it's time for that. And my goal, as I've said, is to die at a time and by a method of my choosing in at least 180 years. <laughs> Right. So that, but you have to not be afraid if you want to make it that long. At least I think so. 
Well, a couple of couple of points. Number one, the 12 phases of transition chart. I have many families that will download it onto their phone and they say that it gives the family so much peace at the end of mm-hmm. their loved one's life because they know they're surrounded by angels and deceased loved ones. And in, in my book, Angelic Attendance, there's lots of stories about families with whom I've worked. That's number one. Number two, I think that it's important to remember that We all decide when we go, where we go, how we go, who's with us when we go or not. And so a lot of people have guilt about, I wasn't with my Aunt Susie when she passed or grandma was alone because Aunt Susie was out of the room getting a cup of coffee. Well, grandma chose to go when Aunt Susie was out of the room. That's important Uh to remember. Talk to any funeral director. They have endless stories about that. And then the other thing is when our loved ones are seeing their deceased loved ones who are there to greet them, and and that's what the university-based research is, it shows, Dave, that 90% of people in when they're actively dying see their deceased relatives either in dreams or visions. And this is university-based research. I've had to do clinical research in universities. How do you get by the IRBs with that? you know, the institutional yeah. review board. And and so more and more studies are coming out. So when grandma is saying she's seeing her mother who's been dead for 70 years, we used to think, okay, grandma's just hallucinating. Well, no, grandma's not hallucinating. Grandma actually can see her deceased loved one. When people at the end of life are reaching up or they're staring at a corner of the room, they're seeing spirits, they're talking to spirits. And there are several books out about this from not only hospice people, but also this research that's been done that corroborates what I talk about on the spiritual side. That's the research, that's the yang side on the yin side. You know, here's the spiritual part, here's corroboration of what's happening, you know, from the human perspective. I, I like it. There, there's clearly something going on. And and if you're listening to this and you have someone in your life who's passing, or maybe you are, it's okay to take a deep breath and just be curious. I really do think there's value in in picking up the the infographic. We'll call it the death infographic. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, Julie or it's Ask Julie Ryan, J-U-L-I-E-R-Y-A-N, askjulieryan.com. And get the book. Like, like it's it's a gift. And when you do that, you'll just realize, oh, you, you can chill a little bit. And maybe you want to talk to Julie. I mean, she does sessions. She's done sessions with me that I think have been fruitful and useful. And what I want you to learn from the show, just listening to it, is maybe there really are people who could do this kind of stuff. Maybe it's more common than you think. And maybe it's a teachable skill. And you just heard all of that from Julie. So Julie, thank you for doing the stuff you're doing. I love it that you're a a, a well-accomplished business person and inventors. Look, I went out, I did the work, and now I'm willing to talk about it because for every one of you, there's 99 other people who did the work or did some of the work and, and can do this, but they never say anything because they're afraid people will think they're weird. So here's to the weird people, which means you're not normal, which means you're not average because you're above average and that's okay. Thanks, Dave. What a delight always to be with you. So fun. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. 
The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.